the Trade Scope Podcast for trade promotion and revenue growth management. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. I'm Rob Hand, and I'm so glad you selected the Trade Scope Podcast today. We do try to cover anything and everything about trade channel promotion, revenue growth management, and retail execution in these programs. And I am glad to bring you all of the insights and intelligence you can use to add value to your everyday decisions. So let's get to today's topic. You know, so much has been written, spoken, and presented about consumer packaged goods industry trade promotion. But while CPG trade promotion is a unique process, it is clearly not the only industry that has large, complex channel incentive promotions, of course. Any manufacturer that sells products through any kind of channel of distribution will, by simple survival, provide to its wholesale distributors and resellers financial incentives of some type. For those consumer products manufacturers selling through the primary retail channels, those incentive programs are called cooperative advertising, market development, business development, or some other kind of moniker. They all involve some sort of funding instrument typically based on net purchase of products. Today, let's talk about those industries where products are made and sold through more commercial channels. I am referring to products ranging from large HVAC systems sold to residential or commercial customers, industrial equipment, transportation infrastructure equipment, electronics, farm equipment, just to name a few. A prime example of what I'm talking about is high technology, especially the components that are critical to the operation of computers, smart systems, or other hardware devices. I can't think of a better way to begin this discussion than to discuss the computer microchip industry. Now look, anyone who's in business anywhere knows that the microchip is the brains behind every action and process generated by a device such as a computer, mobile phone, your coffee maker. The semiconductor industry, according to Forbes Business Insights, is a $513 billion industry with a projection of $727 billion by 2027. That's a compound annual growth rate of 4.7% over the next six years. This is huge, but that's not at all surprising, is it? Back in the day, the day being the 1980s and 90s, The number of semiconductor companies supporting tech companies exponentially increased. Here in Austin, Texas, where we seem to be the heart of the industry research with companies like Intel, Advanced Micro Devices, Motorola, Texas Instruments, IBM, Samsung, and a huge array of supporting service companies to make it the top industry in the state after oil and gas. The competition is fierce, and the fight does not end at research and development process. People who are moving from one company to the next use their learned skill sets to pioneer new products and applications, and in far too many cases, reverse engineering of popular products, unfortunately. Now, the big guys do a lot to keep themselves safe from theft, but one of the most successful and new ways to fight the competition is simply to outmarket the competition. In the late 1980s, Intel was the semiconductor industry's most prominent and largest manufacturer of microchips. Their research and development, manufacturing, and distribution channel was simply unbeatable. But, as it is always the case, smaller companies began producing semiconductor products that rivaled the Intel brands in speed, power, and processing functionality at prices far less than what Intel was able to offer. As you could imagine, Intel fought back viciously in courts, but they didn't always go their way. So with the consumer and commercial demand for computer performance at lower prices, running at extremely high levels, 
Intel was beginning to see erosion of their market share. The time was right for a major offensive that would leverage the power, resources, and reputation Intel had in the industry globally. Dennis Carter, then Intel's chief marketing officer, sent out a call to all of its marketing vendors to come to Beaverton, Oregon and present any idea that would slam dunk these smaller competitors and be prohibitive for any of them to equal. Tall order. (laughs) Yep, you bet. But Carter went one step further. He wanted Intel to become a globally recognized brand among consumers, not just industry buyers, but the end users, the one who buys the product and uses it. You know, us. We're talking about brand recognition like Coke, Pepsi, Oreos, Snickers, Polo and Levi's, Mercedes and Chevrolet. In fact, he wanted to be among the top 10 most recognized brands in five short years. Dude, (laughs) you sell semiconductors. Look, the other thing he asked for was ideas that leveraged Intel's core resources. He knew the smaller semiconductor industries were struggling to be profitable, going the low-price route and risking their margins for future volume. The winning idea? Co-op advertising. No kidding. More specifically, one of the oldest forms of cooperative advertising known as ingredient marketing. As far back as the 1920s, organizations like the Wool Bureau, which is a consortium of apparel companies using wool to manufacture their clothing, or the Cotton Council, a similar group of apparel makers dedicated to pure cotton fashions, or the American Dairy Association, These organizations would offer financial incentives to retailers and food companies and other manufacturers that advertised their products and featured the consortium logo in their ads. Now, usually these organizations would pay up to half of the cost of the ad, providing a huge incentive for both the manufacturer and the retailer to feature the promotion of their products. This idea was presented to Dennis Carter and his selection team back in 1989. And Carter quickly saw the beauty of the concept and began to apply it to Intel. Now, what did Intel have that the other smaller semiconductor manufacturers didn't have? Money. Cash. Lots of it. The plan called for an accrued fund based on the net cost of every chip sold. Now, think about how many chips were sold, even back then on the newest wave of 80286-based desktop computers, portables, and even mini and mainframe. The wave of transition from the older mainframes to new network server-based systems meant huge volumes of chips sold. Given that the little guys had given up their margin for lower prices, meant that there was no possible way for them to peel off 3 or 6% price for a promotional fund. Intel had its slam dunk. Next, the idea of leveraging the logo in advertising meant that Intel had to come up with what had to be a consumer story and a great incentive. Who was the target? IBM, Hewlett-Packard, Dell, Toshiba? No, it was the consumer, you and me. Now, IBM, HP, Toshiba, they all built up promotional funds, and Intel set up yet another copy of those old-fashioned guidelines on those ingredient marketing programs by requiring that in every single ad, there would be an Intel logo in the form of a highly consumer-oriented look and feel. Hey, every single computer with Intel chips could show that it had the quality, reliability, and reputation of the largest semiconductor company on earth. Doesn't that have value? Sure. You made certain that your PC, laptop, or server that you bought had the Intel chip inside. Intel inside was born. 
This program kicked off in 1990. My company at the time, MediaNet, was honored to be the primary administrator of this now famous Intel Inside promotional program. The terms were strict. The money was worth it, though, and the audit of every claim made by every computer company participating was intensive and comprehensive. It had to be. You see, Dennis Carter wanted to be a recognized household brand within five years, and I think he actually did it sooner. Today, we have similar channel promotion ingredient marketing programs from companies like Dolby Labs, American Express, and a number of other original equipment manufacturers that harken back to those old ingredient co-op marketing days. But the lesson to take away from the story of Intel Inside is simple. Every manufacturer selling their products through any channel of distribution benefits through the clever and creative marketing that ends up serving who? The consumer. Whether that consumer is buying a new PC for their college student, a wool sweater, or part of a committee that's going to purchase a new piece of manufacturing equipment that features state-of-the-art Internet of Things controllers, robotics, or intelligent maintenance, the human element is alive and well. And what do I mean? Well, every manufacturer competing in each of those spaces has a story to tell, an advantage, a unique function, or some special ingredient that needs to be promoted. Promotional tactics may range from YouTube videos to direct mail, from on-site demos to trade shows or even media advertising. Controlling that message, ensuring compliance with terms and conditions of payment, and establishing guardrails and guidelines are the stuff of strong channel promotion incentive plans. It takes knowing the marketplace and understanding how to leverage the quality of the product and those unique things I mentioned before within that marketplace to make a successful plan. I think everyone would agree that the phenomenal success of Intel Inside is a great story. But what it should show is how a good plan comes together. In the commercial B2B promotion incentive game, it's not always about traditional promotional media, but about how to reach those buyers. And even more importantly, those who influence the buyers and the sale. I'll leave you with a recommendation about how to create or improve your existing channel promotion plan. Do your research. First, make sure you know who the competition is. This is no joke, and I am not insulting your intelligence. Good commercial channel companies know their competition, but there are always those new entrants into the market and new programs offered by existing competitors. Product pricing, for example, is an obvious piece of intelligence, but in today's environment, growing revenue means being able to optimize price against all the factors in the market. So go the extra steps and build comparative pricing intelligence structures so that your growing RGM capabilities can take advantage of new and exciting tools like AI-driven promotion optimization engines, pricing engines, and analytics. Second, find out what the buyers look for and how they gain perspectives about the right fit for their company. Maybe they are the head of procurement who meets with the operational leadership to formulate the plan and look over product demos, designs, or contact references. Maybe they work with the CFO to get final approval on cost. Again, clearly, this is something virtually all companies do, but concentrating on the influencers is going to give you that extra mile. And there is not a lot of intelligence about them in corporate websites. Use your customer base to explore this. And who knows, perhaps there are a number of people who have moved from one competitor to another who can add value in the knowledge there. Third, dig deep into what and how your competitors promote their products to the channels. 
Do they have a cooperative advertising fund program, rebates, spiff promotions, financing offers, or special promotional funds? Do they offer tools like AdMaker kits with promotional content, direct mail, advertising content, media purchase options, or do they have access to ad or marketing agencies that handle promotions for their customers who cannot afford nor wish to employ an agency? Fourth, find out if the customers like the program, what they like about them, what they don't like about them, and what they would suggest you do differently. It's not only about money or providing higher fund accrual rates than your competition, but instead where you might want to concentrate your resources. For instance, it may be worth more to offer a 2 or 3% higher fund to support extended financing for the buyer or supporting the tech support center or customer call center instead of media advertising. It might make sense to leverage the funding for price discounts. Don't limit the promotional fund by either your own preferred tactical activities per se, but instead be creative. Work with your customer to support the way they sell your products. Fifth, don't make it hard. Don't put crazy deadlines and claim submission, complex requirements for fund usage or complicated fund timing. Make the terms and conditions fit, but make them simple to digest and simpler to execute. The one guarantee is that if you make it too hard to comply, not only will they not promote your products, they may even feel your product is not financially viable as another competitor with a channel promotion program that's easy to use and quick to receive payments and benefits from. Lastly, don't do this yourself. Most CPG companies historically manage their trade promotions internally using their own applications or a vendor TPX solution. Outside of the CPG industry, which specifically includes the commercial industries, there's a grouping of very good companies that can handle your own promotional program's turnkey. They can help you write it, communicate it, administer it, manage it, manage the funding, audit for compliance, and even act as the paymaster, processing deductions, payments, rebates, any type of reimbursement instrument. Ask me, I'll direct you to some of the best companies for this purpose. But not only is it easier on your state of mind to have an expert manage your co-op fund or channel promotion program, but it is practically and legally advantageous as well. Let's face it, you will have issues where the claims made against your program are not only out of compliance, but may be overcharging you for more than the funding is earned. These are sensitive issues to deal with, and I am sure your legal counsel will recommend you not being directly engaged in potentially negative scenarios. Rather, you would be in a better place to act as a final arbiter, making the intelligent call to override on a one-time basis or to use the opportunity to serve your customer with direct help and future execution guidance, all in the name of making sure the future works out to your benefit and to your customer. In the future, I will include topics like this for other industry segments as well. So stay tuned and be on the lookout for the topics that may more specifically impact your business situation. Trade promotion, cooperative advertising, market development funds are all types of channel incentive plans that make total sense and should be leveraged as your top financial sales and marketing tools. This is the trident, if you will, you need to be successful across any industry, consumer, commercial, or channel. That's my two cents. So for now, let me once again thank you for tagging along with me today. Check out my other podcasts and be sure to look for the Trade Scope podcast wherever you get your podcast content. Also check out my website, www.handpromotion.com. 
www.handpromotion.com. This is Rob Hand, and until the next time, be safe, be strong.